You're listening to the podcast of the Biopharmaceutical Section of the American Statistical Association. Statistics. 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 Hi, folks, and welcome to the big show. I'm Richard Zink, and you are listening to the podcast of the biopharmaceutical section of the American Statistical Association. This is episode 32, and today I'm speaking with Marissa Baki, recently elected president for the European Federation of Statisticians in the Pharmaceutical Industry, otherwise known as EPSPI. We'll talk a bit about her work in rare diseases and find out more about the first annual FSPI workshop on regulatory statistics. You can read more about the workshop at fspy.org. Now let's start the show. Hi folks, today I'm talking with Marissa Baki, head of biostatistics at Actelion and the 2016-2017 president for the European Federation of Statisticians in the Pharmaceutical Industry, or FSPI. Good morning, thanks for being here. Uh, thank you. Thank you, Richard, for inviting me. It's a pleasure to be able to talk about uh, myself and the EFSPI and uh, reach a wider audience. Really my pleasure. Before we dive into the topics, uh, let's get to know a little bit about you. How did you become interested in statistics? Ah, that's, uh, that's an interesting uh, question, in fact. And uh, it goes back to... Um, my early years in after graduation when I started to work in cancer research and uh, it became very clear to me that uh, without uh, statistics I was not going to be able to properly interpret the results of the experiments uh, and or clinical studies we were running. So I became very interested in developing much more my knowledge into the field of uh, medical statistics and um, as, as a tool to succeed in, 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 my, in my work and also as a very interesting uh, simulating area for, uh, for learning. And uh, during that, these early years, I had the privilege to meet uh, experts in medical statistics that uh, provided me with the inspiration and the knowledge to continue to develop in this field. And then I started to work for the Swiss Group of Cancer Research uh, uh, in Switzerland and where I could continue to develop uh, my capabilities, and especially because a lot of the work we were doing was in collaboration with the Harvard School of Public Health, where some of my mentors are based. And then I moved away from, uh, let's say, research, and I started to work in a biotech, um, namely Serrano in Geneva, and where uh, and um, where I started to be involved in uh, experiences with uh, drug development, and uh, where again uh, a good mastering of uh, the tools of the trade are so critical to to ensure successful design, uh, monitoring, execution, and analysis of clinical trials. And the, the focus there is obviously to develop new drugs for patients. And that's very, very exciting, I think. 
Uh, obviously, the, the challenges, the methodological challenges and the complexities of international drug development, they allow even a broader experience with um, different approaches. And so I continue to work with some of the methodology experts that I already knew from Europe and US to apply innovative statistical methods and solutions. And after um, a number of years in the, in the biotech world, I was then um, hired into Novartis, and I had a very exciting opportunity to work on the first oral drug for multiple sclerosis at Novartis. And that's uh, it's a big company, so it's a different setup, different from um, a biotech world. Uh, however, Novartis has also another uniqueness, which is uh, the fact that they, um, they have a, an amazing methods group. So during my experience at Novartis, I had the privilege to be supported by Frank Bretz and his, uh, and his team, you know, a group of methodology um, experts within, within the company. And now I end afterward, and that was an incredibly enriching experience, and I'm still uh, in touch with, uh, with Frank and his team. Uh, let's say for a methodological um, sharing of methodological uh, challenges across the board. And mm -hmm. uh, I, I joined Actelion in, the, in uh, 2010, and I've been there for the past five years, and we, we continue to, to bring forward, I think, uh, the strategic value of statistics for drug development and also to support decision making. Very good. Can you describe for us your current role at Actelion? Um, I am the, the head of the biostatistics department. Um, the biostatistics department is uh, belonging to the clinical development organization and uh, we support clinical development activities uh, from uh, phase two uh, to late phase three studies, and also we support uh, beyond development in terms of um, the research uh, organization, the biostatistics, the business units, and, and the regions. So, and uh, we are part also of um, strategic committees uh, where we can, in particular, we can provide again this um, methodological quantitative uh, set of skills that other uh, experts can can take uh, advantage of. So I would say it's a we statisticians have a quite a strategic role here at Actelion. So a lot of your experience is in rare diseases, multiple sclerosis, pulmonary arterial hypertension, Goucher disease. What are some of the statistical and operational challenges in the study of rare diseases? Uh, obviously, the, the, most, the most obvious is uh, coming from the fact that this, uh, we, we don't have enough uh, patients to run clinical trials of uh, a certain size to be conclusive in a classical sense of the word. Um, the other challenge is that um, these diseases are not well known, so not only they are infrequent, but they are also not well known in terms of um, understanding and knowing what are the really relevant um, aspects that need to be um, targeted to develop a new drug, and that's, that's in my opinion, the other, the other biggest challenge. So the, the sample size, if you like, not, and the lack of... Um, uh, proper knowledge in terms of what is really mat what really matters to the disease to the patient. 
Now, do you think there's resistance, say, in the regulatory environment to rethinking development programs to better suit patients in rare diseases? So, for example, the idea of two clinical trials with a p-value less than 0.05 for the primary endpoint and potentially even trials where there may not be control arms. Uh, Do you think regulatory bodies are rethinking how these development programs can suit these patients? I see um, a, a lot of activities ongoing toward uh, developing uh, new ways to understand and analyze this data. So, um, and I think there is a, a good awareness that we cannot run the typical two trials with P005. So I, I see um, a lot of open openness in the from health authorities both sides of the ocean um, about you know, finding pragmatic solutions to this. Uh, challenge. There's one of the late uh, initiatives that I have heard of, uh, recent initiatives I have heard of, is that, for instance, there is uh, something organized by the EMA on uh, single trials, for instance, for approval. And that's uh, spinned off by the oncology, I think, uh, community. But I am, I am aware that there are other initiatives also in the U.S by which uh, rare disease organizations are uh, putting a lot of, um, uh, not necessarily pressure, but uh, convincing arguments uh, toward the regulators to develop um, new ways of uh, analyzing uh, data in rare diseases, including Bayesian statistics. Because bottom line is that we need to find ways to be able to conclude and that's uh, to, to have a conclusive answer to our uh, questions. So I think it's a, it's a shared uh, challenge, and I'm happy to see um, openness from the agencies. Just to follow up on that a little bit, are Bayesian designs considered uh, frequently in the study of rare diseases, uh, particularly in Europe? Uh, there is. Uh, I don't have direct uh, statistics on this, but they are more and more encouraged and what is in my opinion critical is that they are also explored more actively. Uh, recently, last uh, in May, we had a workshop uh, on pediatric extrapolation in, in London and they organized that because they are also writing a position um, uh, uh, paper, guidance on, on, on this and uh, there were a lot of presentations um, advocating more use of Bayesian statistics so I see the trend going in the right direction. On the other hand, again, need, people need to familiarize with the techniques. The new techniques being developed, they need to be you know, tested out. So what I see more and more is that Bayesian statistics may be utilized in parallel or together with frequentist, so that you end up learning a bit more. And the other byproduct is to see the agencies familiarizing with this. Um, and becoming more, let's say, I don't want to say relaxed, but less worried about developing of priors. And again, I'm a frequentist by, by training, so I'm not, um, um, I can't probably say meaningful uh, and good, um, um, I cannot uh, describe accurately probably the, the Bayesian uh, statistics uh, world. 
I had to even say a disclaimer when I was presenting at the EMA <laughs> about this. Uh, but what is important is that, again, you see the, the interest in, in people and in the agency toward um, utilizing, adding, adding these new tools. Sure, I'm a I'm a frequentist by training as well, but uh, I like uh, trying to find the best tools for the job uh, and try to get different insights with whatever's available. So yeah, it's glad yeah. to yeah. There has been, I think, uh, too much separation between these two worlds, uh, and uh, personally, I'm happy to see that they are coming together. Um, Rare disease, yeah. pediatric, rare disease, pediatric indications, these, in my opinion, are the ideal uh, places to, to test both approaches and see the pros and the cons. Uh, sometimes also we can incorporate real-world data or registry data using patient statistics, and that's another, uh, I think, uh, asset that should be considered uh, moving forward. So you brought up uh, real-world data. For a lot of these rare diseases, uh, I have some experience uh, with cystic fibrosis and there there's a foundation that uh, has a lot of registry data on patients in cystic fibrosis uh, do you try to take advantage of uh, data from uh, registries in the design of your clinical trials for rare diseases we do we do yeah. And uh, we also got some very good advice from the FDA in uh, how to minimize the heterogeneity between the different cohorts in clinical trials and in registries, uh, like doing some um, specific matching. And mm -hmm. uh, um, this is very, very useful again. What is exciting is that you can see that there is a joint interest. So. We, we try to experiment on um, on uh, these solutions, joint solutions, and that's, I think, important. Very good. Let's, uh, let's uh, change our direction here a bit and, and talk a little bit about FSPI. Uh, FSPI, by its nature, is a federation of country-specific statistics groups working in the pharmaceutical industry. Uh, and which group are you currently a member of that uh, participates in FSPI? We are, um, I am uh, at the moment working in Switzerland, so we are, um, I am part of the Swiss group, if you like. In, uh, in Basel, we have even a specific uh, network, which is called the Basel Biometric Society, uh, which um, in fact contributes to the, to the FSPI, uh, and then other countries, uh, in Europe are contributing two members each. I am the other, uh, I am representing, if you like, one of the representatives of Switzerland and with um, Dr. Burger from, uh, from Roche and uh, other countries contribute at least two, two members each. Yes, and congratulations on your recent appointment as president to FSPI. What are some of your goals and strategic objectives uh, for the organization over the next few years? Oh, thank you. Uh, this is, in fact, uh, we have recently updated the, the strategic objectives, so I'm happy to go through with you because they, they cover a number of um, 
uh, relevant, very relevant objectives in my opinion. So first of all, we would like to represent the, the members of the FSPI and provide a united and respected voice on key scientific, regulatory and statistical issues in drug development. And um, that's our first objective. And we have, uh, let's say, already discussed some of the ways forward to implement uh, this and as well as other objectives. Um, the second priority, if you like, of, uh, in terms of our strategic objectives is uh, about setting and promoting uh, professional standards in Europe for the um, uh, development, application, understanding and communication of statistics in um, drug development and also uh, related fields like, broadly speaking, I would say, healthcare environment. Mm -hmm. And finally, as a third goal, is to um, enhance the profile of EFSPI and strengthen alliances and collaborations with other bodies within uh, Europe and other regions. And that's a key point we would like to continue to work on, um, especially with uh, international uh, organizations. So in terms of seeking opportunities to, to collaborate with the EFPI, uh, the other AMA, biostatistics working groups, if we are talking about uh, Europe, and other international statistical uh, communities. Sure, I realize uh, being part of the uh, biopharmaceutical section of the ASA that there has been some uh, development of efforts to tie the groups together even within the U.S. and uh, and across the Atlantic Ocean. So it's nice to uh, see these efforts at trying to improve collaborations between all these different groups. Yeah, and there is a lot of synergies I think uh, we, can, uh, we can learn from. Um, and these synergies are really outside of the competitive, if you like, world that we work in. And I noticed just uh, from a very little community we have in, in, in Basel, um, we realize so much the, uh, the added value of sharing non-competitive information and uh, sharing methodological solutions. And that, again, you, you enter the, we have regular meetings with the BBS, and this is a business concept that I think is very wise to extend beyond, is the fact that you, you know, each of us enter the room maybe with one idea. And after the, the meeting, uh, if we have, you know, two of us or five of us, all of us go back with five ideas. And that's, uh, that's an important concept that you can, uh, we can, um, you know, in a way factor in about uh, strengthening the collaboration of uh, statisticians in the pharma industry. We get, we get so much out of, uh, of it. Yeah, indeed, the uh, the collaboration is important for new ideas and moving things forward. Yeah. So in the past, as I, I understand, uh, officers from the various FSPI organ member organizations will get together on an annual basis. And this fall, uh, the first annual FSPI statistical workshop will take place September 12th and 13th in uh, Basel, Switzerland. So what motivated the development of this workshop and uh, it was the primary goal to provide a better a forum for better interaction among individual member groups or uh, better interaction between industry and regulatory statisticians? Uh, 
indeed, um, the, there is a number of reasons behind uh, this, this workshop, and in fact, uh, the goals are, uh, um, that you mentioned are both uh, addressed. And this is, again, about sharing um, important topics and also defining the ways these uh, topics can be taken uh, forward. Uh, including, obviously, a, a good collaboration and interaction between the industry and uh, regulatory statisticians. Um, this is, we finally got together and we got enough um, um, subjects and people uh, being able to, to attend, and we managed to have it uh, organized. It's, it's a huge opportunity for us. Um, the workshop is um, going to be in the, at the University of Basel, um, and it will cover uh, regulatory statistics. It is, uh, in fact, um, having participants from US, from FDA, and from, uh, from the EMA, and also from some of the member countries in terms of uh, European community and industry. Uh, I can give you more information about this. Uh, in fact, first of all, the scientific committee was uh, is still consisting of um, Norbert Benda, Egbert Biswil, uh, Hans Ulrich Burger, Tim Friede, uh, Christoph Gerlinger, Armin Koch, David Wright, and Emmanuel Zuber. So you, I, I don't know if you know some of these names, but it's a good mix of people from industry and um, and regulators. The agenda will cover um, one and a half days of uh, workshops and presentations, and these um, they, the sessions will be about estimates, and that's the first half day will mainly be about uh, estimates, uh, guidelines, and uh, implications of estimates selection on labeling. And here we have, again, someone from the FDA, someone from Bee Farm, and someone from uh, the big companies as well. And uh, then the, the following day will be uh, a mixture of uh, topics, very, I think, very interesting from the current developments and current discussions about extrapolations from, uh, extrapolation from adults to children. Uh, that's a very relevant topic, perceived also confirmed by two workshops that were organized both by the EMA and the FDA within two weeks, uh, between mid-May and beginning of June. And then also there will be a session on benefit risk assessment, uh, and then statistics uh, in quality and quality attributes. And afterward, there will be a final uh, session with um, Professor Armin Koch on uh, more like a wrap-up debate mm -hmm. out of the, uh, the day and a half workshop. That sounds like a, a lot of very good topics. Uh, and just to point out, the uh, discussion of estimates uh, has to do with the, uh, the addendum to the ICH E9 guidelines. Yep. Yes, indeed. Yep. And again, there is. Um, it's amazing how much of what is being discussed is going to be of very practical relevance in developing protocols uh, moving forward. I'm telling you, I was uh, uh, having. I mean, uh, we have discussions 
when we you know write protocols and we have to finalize them. We are trying to put already in, in at least in the discussion with our clinical colleagues some of the concepts which are being discussed uh, with um, in the group of people developing the the addendum. And you, you get some puzzled looks at you, and then when you start to to connect the dots and you help you know we help each other connecting the dots, you see aha couple of ha-ha moments uh, from the yeah. clinical side of things, because indeed they are struggling of between, you know, a, a variable, an endpoint, an objective, and an analysis. So we need a much more linear thinking collectively, and that's, I think, uh, the, the group of experts which are working on the addendum will, I'm pretty sure, knowing some of them, they will come up with something absolutely useful. And what size, uh, wh how big do you think this uh, this first workshop will be? How many participants? We expect around 200 people, approximately. Yeah, that's a good size. And will there be opportunities, uh, I guess, within each talk for uh, the participants who aren't necessarily presenting to ask questions of the, of the speakers and... Yeah. Uh, have yes. some sort of involvement. Yes, yes. There will be. Um, it's meant to be interactive. It's meant to have also some panel discussions um, between um, sessions. It's in, the spirit is in fact to collect also information from the participants. And is the plan for future conferences? Will will it remain in Basel, or is it planned that the uh, the workshop will? take place in different cities with uh, different uh, member organizations sort of hosting the workshop? Yeah, yeah we were discussing exactly that, uh, that question ourselves, and uh, we are not married to a particular location, um, and we would like to make it, uh, let's say, go around, not like a circus, but uh, in the good sense of it. <laughs> Um, we were exactly using this, this word, <laughs> like uh, said it's going to be like a circus, but not in the bad, uh, or with the bad meaning of behind the circus, if you like. Um, it, it was good to have um, to have it in Basel. It was a good timing, a good availability. Some of us could negotiate a very good um, um, the room availability in in here. Um, so this, it was good to have it in Basel for the first round, but uh, don't necessarily plan to stick to it uh, forever. Obviously, there is a strong presence here uh, in, in Basel because there is Roche, there is Novartis, there is uh, um, ourselves, Actelion, and a couple of other startups. But there are other hubs in Europe as well, so we'll see. To, to, do a, to, to, have, to charge a, a small amount, and we will test again how this is. This is the first experience, so we'll see how the whole uh, experience will go. Sure, but it's exciting. It's exciting to see how how it'll develop over time. Yeah, 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 exactly. Because um, it's a bit. It's a an, orga an organization which has uh, some very specific features. It's, it's different from you know uh, everything else which is around. Uh, being uh, also representing all the countries, I think it's very important uh, for us. So we we'll see how it goes. 
to carry this activity together with the other representatives, other members, is uh, is very important also to to leverage the content across across countries, the statistical expertise uh, across countries and communities is, is very important. We we'll see how it goes. I am optimistic personally myself. In your description, I didn't hear uh, a mention of short courses. Uh, I don't know if they're planned for this year or not, but do you expect, if the, if they aren't planned for this year, that this may be a feature of uh, future workshops? Yeah, yeah. These were um, discussed as uh, a potential uh, additional feature. Uh, we decided not to have it loaded beyond the, the current content this time, but this is uh, for sure... Uh, on the table for uh, next next year. And we we discussed a little bit in the the motivations for the meeting or for the workshop that it's an opportunity to build better interaction among the individual groups and uh, better uh, the member groups of FSPI, for example, and better interaction between industry and regulatory statisticians. How successful do you think uh, the workshop uh, will be able to to accomplish this? My question has to do with the, I guess, the setup of the European Medicines Agency. So although we have this one regulatory body under the EMA, each individual nation has its own regulatory, I guess, ultimately will decide uh, how the drugs are approved and marketed within the individual nations. Do you think this adds an additional layer of complexity to the issue? Yeah, it, it does indeed, and um, it is uh, multiplying the potential uh, questions and challenges uh, in a way, I don't want to say exponentially, but it's, uh, it's indeed, uh, including, by the way, we didn't mention that, uh, including the, the reimbursement, uh, the HTAs. Uh, so each, each country has its own uh, HTA rules if you like, and or conventions. So this, this whole dimension becomes uh, really over over complex to some extent in terms of numerosity, if you like, uh, of mm-hmm. additional analysis which are requested. That's, that's the first, um, uh, just the size and the amount of additional analysis you have to run for each um, country and each HTA. It's rare that you can so-called recycle <laughs> Uh, analysis from one place to another because typically they have very specific subgroups and or um, uh, features that um, they would like uh, to target or to understand better. So this is, um, um, I'm pretty sure and I'm counting on, on this workshop to, to facilitate um, the agreement on certain principles, if you like. Sure. Yeah, the uh, I hadn't uh, really considered the uh, the uh, complexity. I mean, just just in how FSPI is designed, I guess the EMA is of a similar, even though it's a sort of a huge body. Each of the individual pieces sort of operate independently as well, and that adds another layer of uh, complexity to trying to build collaboration and consensus. Um, yeah, moving forward, yeah. so what we have also is, is good representation of local uh, authorities like B Farm, the German B Farm. We have mm-hmm. a representation from MHRA, 
And I hope I don't forget anybody else. I don't think I do. I'm just I have the agenda in front of me. So we have um, both the, the global agencies and some of the very strong voices in Europe in terms of local agencies. And again, BFARM and, and MMHRA are the obvious ones to, to hear and to listen to. Yeah, yeah, they are involved in the, in the workshop, and they were involved, obviously, in, in the scientific committee and the organization of the workshop. No, it's an exciting opportunity. Um, look forward to hear how the uh, this first workshop how it ends. Uh, very, uh, yeah, I'm yeah. sure it will be very successful. Yeah, I, I am my, myself. Uh, I had uh, I had a word with some of the um, uh, the board uh, people recently. We were kind of uh, uh, both excited and a bit worried because it's the first uh, time around. So we were we are all excited and. Um, Again, put a lot of um, uh, thinking into the, the agenda, and uh, we see how it uh, how it goes. Our first, this is the first uh, time we run it, so hope for the best. But I count again with this type of uh, presentations and this type of uh, speakers. I have no doubt it will be successful. I have one final open-ended question for you, so there's no right or wrong answer. Uh, in your opinion, what do you think will create the biggest impact or the biggest change to medical product development in the next five years? And if you think there'll be any differences between, say, the U.S. and uh, Europe, I'd be uh, interested in your comments on that as well. Uh, sure. A couple of um Thoughts from from the, the the top of my head, I I see a lot coming forward and being implemented in terms of um, you know big data, real world data, and patients being involved. Let's say these are my three big bets in terms of uh, what we produce. The biggest changes in development in the next five years. Uh, big data, I mean um, genomics, microbiome, you name it. It's just the sheer size of this data will be so different from what we have grown up with. And uh, the whole, um, let's say, infrastructure and type of uh, analytical tools that we will have to develop will be new. Um, and including, I forgot to mention, you know, the the data collected by these uh, wearable devices. That's all part of what I call big data. Um, and in that context, it would make a lot of sense to utilize what I name real-world data, because this is out there. It's not easy to know what you can take, for sure. Uh, safely considered to put into your uh, knowledge base, and that's where the challenge will be between registries, between hospital records. Um, uh, it's not clear what is it that you can trust, in fact. Um, I heard someone saying, you know, trust your data, but up to a certain extent, and indeed the complexity will be, in my opinion, in establishing what is it that you can trust to do what. And mm -hmm. finally, the, pati the patients will count 
hopefully much more than they have uh, so far. Um, in my opinion, this is a very critical element which is being now supported into coming to us as drug developers, providing critical guidance to what it matters to, to a patient. It's the only way you can get that is to ask the patient themselves. And uh, you have to formalize that process of, uh, in a way that you can safely collect this information, reliably collect this information. And it's more complicated than it's uh, perceived. It's intuitively, it makes a lot of sense. Uh, and myself, having worked a lot in research before going into pharma, I thought it was a no-brainer. But in fact, <laughs> it's, it's proving to be a bit more complex because of uh, a set of regulations and also of um, relevant processes by which you get really to consult the right uh, uh, representatives of the right bodies, so patient organizations uh, can be the best source of collaboration for that. And also, again, the agencies are, at least in Europe, there is a, a big initiative in terms of uh, collecting patient preferences and making that uh, these preferences part of drug development. This is called IMI Prefer. I don't know if you know about that. No, I'm not familiar with it. Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a big initiative of the European uh, community. And they, I am not aware there is something similar happening in the U.S. There are some initiatives and work being done here with patient preferences. Um, I've seen some work uh, presented by individuals within the CDRH and uh, discussing uh, different uh, weight loss devices. So there is uh, definitely... Uh, an interest in taking into consideration patient preferences. And do you think this has the potential to maybe change the primary endpoints in some therapeutic areas, depending on uh, what patients see as important versus what clinicians may see as important? I think so, personally. I not only think, I hope it will be the case. Um, and it's in a way changing the paradigm of, of uh, science as it was run uh, in the last centuries by which the, the doctors were the experts and they knew better. And this was uh, the same uh, approach that was interfering with the ability to run randomized clinical trials, for instance. So I see it as a, as a process of developing uh, the way we handle the um, uh, the challenge is moving forward in, in the sense that, in fact, you know, uh, these preconceived ideas based on expert opinions, if you like, uh, that they knew the truth. They didn't need to randomize clinical trials. Uh, back, uh, back in the 80s, you remember this was um, uh, a debate which was uh, kind of heated in some medical conferences and statistical conferences. Um, it's now this became a bit of an obsolete debate, and it's now beyond being uh, the, the experts being able to judge the things, is how can you get people who really experience the disease to contribute to the knowledge much more than an expert, which may have a different degree of knowledge. You know, medical knowledge is, is a knowledge that the patient has a knowledge about experiencing the disease himself or herself. So I see as a very welcome advance advancement in the in the way science will be run, not only necessarily to do drug development in general. 
Well, thanks very much uh, for your time today, Marissa. I appreciate it, and I wish you and the steering committee success for your upcoming workshop this fall. Ah, thank you very much. It's been a pleasure, and uh, I am really looking forward to to continue to work uh, in the EFSPI. It's a, it's a bit of a new experience for me as well. Uh, as a president, I am finding uh, myself surrounded by a very nice group of uh, people helping me, especially Chrissy. She is the past president, and uh, she's currently vice president and supporting me in all possible ways. And then... Um, and then we'll see. Thank you for the opportunity to talk.